Ece Özdemiroğlu. I'm Sabina Apet. And I'm Jill Duggan. And this is Join the Dots. I'm an environmental economist. Sabina is an environmental scientist. Jill is an expert in climate and energy policy. We've spent our careers giving advice about the environment, and we know choices are never straightforward. Here in each show, we explore the issues surrounding an everyday choice to help you decide what's best for your health, wallet, and our planet. I'm very interested in the impact of fragrances and household smells inside. I've heard that they're the new secondhand smoke, and I just wonder whether I should be worried about this. So looking to you ladies for some answers. Joining us today, we also have Thea Sletten. Thea is an environmental economist and a senior consultant at FTEC, an economics for environment consultancy. She specializes in assessing the health, environmental and economic impacts of chemicals. And previously she worked in the Norwegian Environment Agency and represented the country at the EU's Socioeconomic Analysis Committee for Chemical Regulation. Thank you for joining us, Thea. Thank you so much for having me. Sabina, you us with some background on indoor fragrances. Thank you. Scent has been with us since ancient times. Perfumes have been found in Egyptian tombs and in artifacts from many cultures. You even hear about fragrance in the New Testament. The three wise men carried frankincense and myrrh. These are still prized components of perfumes due to their fragrances. So originally, perfumes and household fragrances would be derived from natural substances, from whale vomit and deer glands to bark, flowers, and tree sap. Wow. Yeah. Looking forward to dabbing some whale vomit behind my ears. Yeah, (laughs) musk, from musk glands. I mean, interesting things bring the scents we use in our households. Over time, synthetic fragrances started to be made from the 1800s. Synthetic fragrances are made from chemicals that we produce. Fragrance has long been a sign of luxury. It provides pleasant odors. It also masks those more whiffy scents that we might not want to smell in our homes, especially before we bathe quite as often as we do now. (laughs) So today, many of us regularly use what we call air fresheners. Air fresheners are any products that emit a fragrance to provide an aroma to a space to mask odors or create pleasant odors. They can be sprays, they can be plugins, they can be potpourri, they can be gels, candles, incense, but they're methods for delivering something we'd rather smell into our personal spaces. So 30 to 40% of people in the UK use air fresheners or household fragrances at least once a week. And over 90% use them at least once a month. So that's a lot of people. Uh, Manufactured fragrances, as I've said, come in many forms. There are also many different chemicals. The makeup, since we have so many sources, um, really depends on what scent you have. Fragrance is also added to almost everything we use, cosmetics, cleaning products, even roll. So things we smell and things that we don't want to smell. They're chemical and natural, so fragrance is everywhere. 
I don't actually want to smell air fresheners or potpourris. I think, you know, mostly they're gross. Well, one of the reasons why I raised this topic in the first place was I used to work with a woman. um, She was so allergic to air freshener that she couldn't go into a loo if it had been sprayed with air freshener. And quite a lot of public loos are. Because it's a contact allergy, she has to make sure that her partner is also free from any of these substances as well. Okay, so what's in an air freshener that could make someone ill like that? We don't always know. Perfumes have historically been trade secrets, so manufacturers don't need to put ingredients on labels. Often just fragrance needs to be put on an ingredient list. If it is a known allergen, there's a lot of regulations, e-regulations, that actually says that you have to label say, an air freshener bottle uh, that says can cause irritation, can cause allergic reactions, etc. So they're not necessarily obliged to put on the exact ingredient, but if there are allergens in there, there's some legislation that would tell you that this needs to be on the label. However, fragrances are made up of hundreds of chemicals. When I hear chemicals, okay, I get a bit scared because if it says chemical, it must be bad. Well, I always find this a bit amusing because I've been working with chemicals throughout my career, actually. And everyone always like, oh, no, this Mm. is chemicals. We should just ban them all. Mm. And then I take a pause and say, well, it's all chemicals. You know, the oxygen we breathe, the air we breathe is chemicals. The water we drink is chemicals. What do you mean? There are chemicals in the water. No, the water itself is a chemical. The entire universe, everything is made up of atoms that make molecules. Molecules are chemicals. Now, a lot of those, as we said, are man-made. And those are sometimes of concern. Some natural chemicals are of concern. And that was the science bit. Okay. (laughs) Man-made. Human-made. Man-made. No, there are some women involved in that. Okay, so not all of the chemicals are bad. So why are we worrying about fragrances except for Jill's poor friend who's allergic to them? I heard dermatologists have said it's the second most common allergy, skin allergy now. Um, But it certainly was quite surprising to me that it was so common. There are a number of health concerns. As you said, some people have contact allergies to specific or a range of chemicals. Fragrances are made up of sometimes hundreds of different VOCs. And Uh, by nature... Excuse me? VOCs? What is a VOC? A VOC is a volatile organic compound. That's any chemical that can evaporate and get to your nose. They can cause allergic reactions... They can cause respiratory problems. Many VOCs, when they react with ozone and other chemicals in the air, become compounds that can cause cancer at sufficient levels. However, just because a chemical is there, it doesn't necessarily cause a problem. No, it doesn't necessarily cause a problem, but a lot of people may have allergic reactions to different fragrance products. I've been working for regulators for quite a few years. And regulating chemicals in general is a very difficult task because the burden of proof that something is dangerous is very often put on the regulatory side, Mm. which means that you have to gather a huge amount of evidence before you even can start regulating this So a few years ago, you had actually one of these substances that are very commonly used in air fresheners that was banned. And this was due to they can give you cancer. 
This was a substance used in air freshener across very, very many consumers in public toilets. So before that was regulated, it might have caused a lot of health problems, mm. but it takes time. What chemical was that? Dichlorobenzene. They always have such catchy names, don't yeah. they? Who regulates chemicals in the air? Well, you don't specifically regulate chemicals oh. that goes into the air. Often it's linked to the product that releases it. So depends on what it's used in. So if it's in an air freshener? I think that would be under the detergent. That's a specific regulation for anything that's concerned with cleaning products, etc. But, for example, scented candles would not go under the detergent regulation, but would rather go under a regulation called REACH, which is a more broad-reaching chemical regulation framework. Well, who's the agency? Well, there there are multiple Multiple agencies. (laughs) That's also one of the issues. It's Mm. not that harmonized as you may have wanted it to be because chemicals are regulated through food regulations, toys directive, cosmetics, detergents, and these broad consumer products. So in the UK, would the Environment Agency, for example, have responsibility for all of these things in the UK or not? Some they would. Uh, So typically you have one agency within the country that's responsible to implement and monitor these chemical regulations within the countries. So I think in the UK it's health and safety executive, no? Yes, for the REACH regulation it is. The chemicals? Um, Yeah. I don't know what REACH stands for, but we'll put that on our website. So how do we know a chemical is risky to human health? So there are different ways of approaching this. Uh, depending on what type of evidence you have before you. So in many cases, it's actually animal studies, uh, and that's a whole different story by itself. Mm. But then you also have effects you can see in society by itself trigger a concern. But you have the animal testing. We also have testing on human tissue you can do, often in the lab. But all of this combined needs to go into a hazard assessment, which may then go into what they call a risk assessment just because you can measure a chemical and a product might have chemicals that have potential human health risks. What matters is both the toxicity and the exposure. Toxicity means how poisonous is this chemical. Exposure addresses how much of it you might be exposed to, either high concentrations or how long. And risk is controlled by both of those. I can have cyanide in the room and it won't hurt me unless I eat it or breathe it. Both of those are pathways of exposure. You can have rat poison sitting on a table. It doesn't hurt you Mm. unless you eat it. We have trace pesticides in our food. They may or may not be a problem depending on the concentration and the exposure. If I was an entrepreneur and I developed wonderful new air freshener, who would I go to to get it verified before I could sell it or can I just put it on the market? They have a regulatory framework called CLP, so classification, labeling and packaging. So if you are putting a new air freshener on the market, you need to check and see if there are any potentially harmful chemicals within this product. And that's your responsibility as a manufacturer. And you have to notify the European Chemicals Agency if you're producing it in a certain amount. If there are any known hazardous substances within there, you are bound to label and package your product accordingly. Or sometimes if the chemical is very toxic, you get a sign. 
Yeah, you get a pictogram. So it's flammable. You need to have this little flame. So it should be easy for a consumer to recognize. But people use these things in different ways. So some people are a bit free and easy with their air freshener. And there's some, you know, there's public lavatories that automatically spray every now and then. And then there are other people who might burn the lunch and get it out once a year or something. So how do the regulations take account of the different ways in which these products are used? If there's a ban on something, it's very easy. You're not allowed to use it. But if it's about labeling and packaging, it's about information. So it's up to the consumer themselves to use this in a reasonable way and not harmful for other people. A lot of consumers assume they're being protected and don't want to do a research project every time they um, use a product. Between non-disclosure of low-level chemicals and putting the burden of protection on the consumer itself. How would you navigate that space? I think it's difficult because people can have allergies to almost everything. So we can't go and kind of ban peanuts because people have very severe allergic reactions to peanuts. So at some point, we need to make it up to the people to think about how they use these products. But nobody's (laughs) sticking a peanut in my mouth. I can't control the air I breathe when I go into public spaces. People with severe peanut allergies cannot go into a restaurant that has peanuts. Mm. So it is is comparable in that sense. I'm just thinking that we can't be too paternalistic either. No, but do we really need smelly stuff all the time? Like, do we need to smell (laughs) of potpourri, poopery, whatever you say? I mean, I hate those smells. I'm not allergic, but does clean need to smell of something? I think some of these are cultural norms. Mm. There's a constant barrage of advertising linking the concept of cleanliness with air fresheners and perfumed products. So we've come to expect a certain level. Of course, when you use these chemicals, after a while you get olfactory fatigue. You stop smelling them. And therefore, we tend to use more and more of these products so that we're aware that they're there. And are these things damaging us or are we pretty relaxed about what fragrances are doing to us and our families? That's an interesting question. First of all, a lot of fragrances include some chemicals that we're growing to understand pose health risks. In the fragrance industry, these are called red list chemicals. A number of large manufacturers have pledged to stop using those or at least disclose their use. There was recently a report that came out in the UK about indoor air quality and VOCs, and these can cause respiratory problems. They can cause neurological problems such as headaches. And over time, people that are exposed to a lot of chemicals sometimes develop multiple chemical sensitivity where they're more and more sensitive to more and more chemicals, especially when they're always in sort of a witch's brew of chemicals that they're breathing. What about those neutralizing sprays? Well, you don't have some spray that'll magically make the sense you don't want go away. There's this advertisement or this concept that somehow you're magicking away your undesirable sense. But something that could move like a missile and attack your scent compounds would probably be attacking chemicals on your furniture, on your walls, on your skin... You're really doing a similar thing that you do with a fragrance. You're masking other smells. 
chemical warfare in the house. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so natural compounds, are they regulated? Yeah, the legislation does not discriminate between uh, man-made chem- <laughs> <laughs> synthetic <laughs> synthetic chemicals versus those you find in nature. Are they safer for us to use than synthetic alternatives? Natural compounds can be single chemicals that have been isolated to be put in a product Or people often use essential oils that are a concentration or an extract of natural Mm. items. They consider them, because they're natural, benign. But you have a very concentrated bottle. Mm. Some of them have warnings that it's unsafe to dispose of it in waterways because they're toxic and concentrated. It's also dangerous to animals and children if they pick up an essential oil. One of the things that I kind of assumed about reed diffusers, for example, is you're not burning anything and therefore that they're a bit more benign. Reed diffusers work by drawing your essential oil or your synthetic fragrance up the reed and slowly releasing it into the air. Again, if it's released into the air, it is VOCs. Often they're insolvent, especially some of the cheaper ones. So you're releasing the same sort of chemicals into the air. You're not burning them like you do in a candle. So you won't get that sort of reactive compound. But you're still introducing, maybe at a slower rate, maybe not, the, co- the compounds that can concentrate in an unventilated room. And what you're saying about burning, presumably the old frankincense and myrrh and the incense sticks that certainly in my youth lots of people used to burn, potentially they're releasing soot and unwanted compounds into the air. Yes. I mean, there have been a number of studies that looked at risk from incense to church and temple workers, people with high levels of exposure, where they did see some evidence that there was some elevated cancer or respiratory risk. Incense produces a lot of particulate matter, which can damage our lungs. Ventilation and moderation are probably the key. Thea, are the regulators worried about just the consumers at the end, or do they actually do anything about the health of workers who are producing these things? Oh, the health of workers is definitely of concern, and they actually have a separate regulation just for the worker protection as well. Mm. Often the dose, the exposure mm. is so much higher. But again, all of these products, if there are known hazardous compounds in them, this should be very, very clearly marked so that any business that uses these products, they should know that this they have to take precaution um, to protect their workers. So my go-to, if I don't know what to buy somebody as a gift, and clearly what everybody buys me if they don't know what to buy me, is a scented candle. So you just pass on the same scented candle, don't Quite you? Like, well. Do you actually, does actually anybody <laughs> buy some? I couldn't possibly you just re-gift. I mean, that's a good thing. Reuse, right? Yeah. No, OK. I'm just curious, because most of them I find a bit chemically smelling, Is there any difference in scented candles? First of all, when you burn a lot of these scent chemicals, you create reactive chemicals, which can be carcinogens and irritants. Also, when we're burning candles, there's concern about things like soot from the burning process, particularly with paraffin, normal candles. You get less soot when you're using beeswax or soy candles. Whether the amounts of soot you generate are significant, it would depend on how many candles, how much you burn, your ventilation. But Mm -hmm. from just the fragrance viewpoint, burning that candle is making a lot of those chemicals more toxic. 
I would point out that a lot of the awareness of the risk of particulates, mm -hmm. which come from burning and soot, we're just beginning to recognize these issues for indoor air. And regulation always lags well behind science. So it doesn't hurt to think about yourself and not count on others protecting you. I think you're saying something quite important because the burden of proof is mm. high, which means that we are running after the science because there might be new types of chemicals on the market, new types of products, new delivery systems, and all of this needs to be tested. And this might take years. And mm. before we have all of these results, people might get sick. So this is something to, to keep in mind that even though we have a lot of regulations protecting human health, the environments and workers and children, it doesn't mean that we are completely safe. Okay, so when you mentioned beeswax and um, soya, it makes me think about where do these things come from? Are they regulated or are the regulators in the case of chemicals just interested in human health risks? The life cycle aspect is not included, as far as I know, in any chemical legislation. So the soy candle that I buy because I don't want to burn paraffins might be leading to Amazon deforestation because it comes from Brazil or something. Oh, my goodness. Well, there are different concerns. Paraffin candles are a petroleum product. While soy candles, as you say, it really depends on how the soy is grown to generate the soy oil. People have concerns about GMOs, using the land for growing soy that you would otherwise grow food with the use of pesticides. Similarly, beeswax is a byproduct of honey production. Vegans have some concerns about honey and beeswax. Also, it's not clear that the volumes that you can sustainably generate would replace the volume of paraffin candles we currently produce. So there are supply issues. There are different footprints. Similarly, when we're looking at fragrances, synthetic fragrances are largely made from petroleum products. There are solvents and other chemicals. But when you generate, say, an essential oil or a natural fragrance, you're using large volumes of natural materials and concentrating it. The agricultural practices, how they're isolated, how they're concentrated, and sometimes even for a number of wild products, how those are harvested and whether they're depleting or damaging natural habitats. Rose oil, a rare scent I like. But something like tens of thousands of roses going into one small bottle of rose oil. And I know there's it's a whole tradition. You know, I went to Morocco at a rose harvest time and it was wonderful. You know, everywhere I smelt of roses and stuff. But I hadn't actually quite thought about how we grow those roses. The choice is, do I buy something with a synthetic smell of rose or do I buy... A natural oil. When you're talking about this, you said when I went there and they were harvesting roses, it smelled so wonderful. And I'm thinking if one little bottle needs like mm. 40,000 roses, you could buy roses every day and put them in your house instead. But there has impact <laughs> as well. Where do roses come no, but from? It, it, is, it is over a long period of time. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to remember that everything has an impact. Mm. It's a question of trade-offs. And being aware that your little bottle is several rose bushes might make you think about how you utilize this product differently. But everything we eat, everything we wear, we're going to have an impact. 
It's a question of deciding what we need and what we're just using without thought. I think thoughtful use of products that make you happy is reasonable. So you've put me off the air fresheners and you've pretty much put me off fragrance candles as well. So <laughs> nobody buy me scented candles anymore, please. <laughs> so should I just use unscented products? Well, there's a problem there. Just because something is unscented doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't have fragrance chemicals. If a fragrance chemical is being used to neutralize or mask a scent rather than to create a scent, it doesn't need to be reported as a fragrance. If you want not to have fragrance chemicals in something, you have to look for a fragrance-free product. Is there anything that is good that we can use to neutralise the odours in our home or fragrance our homes for those of us that like fragrance? Um, I'm in quite eager salsa dancer and one of our big problems is of course we use the same shoes many times and they become a little bit iffy, a bit little bit whiffy after a while so what we often do is we put coffee beans in the place where we store our shoes so coffee and citrus citrus is nice so it has a nice aroma but it also has a cleaning properties some house plants will absorb some scents and actually sometimes absorb toxic VOCs in the environment. Baking soda, cleaning or using vinegar and lemon juice. Some people recommend simmering spices. Baking never goes amiss. So there are a number of ways to make your house smell better without using a lot of chemicals. Of course, a little bit of ventilation never hurt either. Bicarbonate, it's a chemical, isn't it? Everything's a chemical. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. we've learned that one. Um, but it, it, that's not toxic then. Well, you could probably eat enough of it if you tried really hard. <laughs> Everything's toxic at some concentration, but it's a very benign product. I think that's a very good point, actually, that people very often forget that almost anything will become dangerous if you have enough of it. You can even die if you drink too much water. Mm. So if you just kind of do things with moderation, very, very often that will solve a lot of issues. And I think you mentioned earlier that the more you use things, the more you don't smell them anymore. So if you, immune. if you adopt a moderation <laughs> policy, then you're more likely to get the benefit. Exactly. I mean, there will be times that most of us will want to quickly mask something bad. Use what you need when you need it and not all the time. You're not going to smell it anyway and you're not doing yourself or the environment any favours by injecting chemicals constantly, synthetic or natural, in your environment. And also be considerate. Be mindful that other people might have allergic reactions to the things you are putting out in your home, if it's in your office space. Think a little bit about the surroundings and the people around you as well. I've learned an awful lot today, so thank you, ladies. Um, firstly, I've learned that everything has an impact. There's not really a difference between natural and synthetic. I can't rely on natural to be better. They probably all contain volatile organic compounds. If I burn something, it's probably going to give off soot if it's not enslaving bees. New products are constantly coming onto the market, but the science is running to catch up. So not all regulations will be there in time to take account of the impacts of some of these new products. 
Um, we get something called olfactory fatigue, where our noses no longer smell scent, so we tend to use more and more of them, which is not terribly healthy. And that unscented doesn't mean that it's fragrance-free. Only fragrance-free is fragrance-free. So what I've learned is we can't really rely on the regulations, but moderation is probably a good rule of thumb, and that there are alternatives to using some of these purchase products that we ought to think about a bit more often. Coffee, we've heard, for, particularly for dance shoes, if you're doing a lot of salsa. Um, citrus, uh, house plants, which can neutralise odours. Baking soda, baking, uh, for those that like it, there's nothing nicer than the smell of baking bread, for example. Um, all of these can help mask other odours or actually make our houses smell lovely, and they're far better for us. Thanks for listening. And thanks to the rest of the team, Tara Uygur on podcast production and Neil McEwen on sound and music. If you enjoyed this, look out for our upcoming episodes and all other info on our website, jointhedotspodcast.com.